Our scripture this morning is from 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 2 through 16. And our sermon today is entitled, The Purity of the Church. And this is God's word. Make room in your hearts for us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have taken advantage of no one. I do not say this to condemn you, for I said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. I am acting with great boldness toward you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort. In all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God who comforts the downcast comforted us by coming by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you, as he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced still more. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. So though I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. Therefore, we are comforted. And besides our own comfort, we rejoice still more at the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For whatever boasts I made to him about you, I was not put to shame. But just as everything we said to you was true, so also our boasting before Titus has proved true. And his affection for you is even greater as he remembers the obedience of you all, how you received him with fear and trembling. I rejoice because I have perfect confidence in you. May the Lord bless us in the reading of his holy word. Good morning, everyone. Let's say hello to one another. I know there's a few of us here today, but praise the Lord for gathering us here as brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, in, in the PCA, we say that one of the marks of a church is the public gathering of his people to worship him. That there is a call for us as God's people to be together, to sing songs unto him, to lift up prayers, to hear God's word expounded to us as his people. It knits us together. Imagine what our church would be like if we didn't have public worship if we simply had sort of Bible studies, if we simply had community groups, if we even simply had just prayer meetings, 
but we had no public worship of God. We would miss God's very presence amongst us and the blessings of the preaching of his word, the blessings of his sacraments, the blessings of knowing that God is transcendent. God is above all things, and yet God is still near to us. And so we gather together always, longing to be in his midst. Last week, we looked at 1 Corinthians 12, and we saw that God in his sovereign plan has created a new body, a new government, a new group, a new fellowship called the church. That's you. This church that God has called, he's called to be one. And this church that God has called, he's given us each individual gifts and abilities to serve the church, to serve her that she may may glow in her, in her glory. Whatever gift that he might have given you to, to serve the world out there for the employment you may have. Those gifts are great that the Lord has given you. But think about the gifts that he has given you for the church. They may be the same. They may translate well. They may not. It's okay. Because when we see the body of Christ grow, when we see the body of Christ being encouraged by our gifts, we're encouraged. Because as the body of Christ grows, so grows I. As the body of Christ grows and rejoices, so does my joy grow as well. This is what the Lord has given us. And this is the joy that he has set before us to see others come to know God and to grow in faith. It's the joy that we have. To have the privilege to lay down our own lives for other people to grow in the Lord. It's the joy and the privilege that we all have. This is our church. And this is what God has given to us. That's the framework. And that's the goal that we have. That's what we live daily for in our lives as the body of Christ. But 2 Corinthians here in this passage in chapter 7 gives us a test case of what happens when that sort of joyful community is challenged. And our community, just like this community, will be challenged. It is one of the reasons why I believe God has given us the Paul's letters to First and Second Corinth. They're not pleasant letters to read unless you just read the First Corinthians 13 on love and you take that out. But there's harshness. There's longing. There's debate. There's sorrow. There's frustration. And for many of us, when we enter into a relationship and have lots of frustration, we, we tend to sort of 
perhaps put up with it for a while. But then we say it's not worth it and we, we walk away. I see that in this generation in particular. I see it in my kids' generation in particular. Um, and, and, and in my kids' school, there is some bullying. There is some, that type of interaction. But for most people, it's like, you know what? I just don't have time for you. <laughs> I'm just going to do my thing. You do your own thing. Peace. And let's, let's just do our own lives. But here in this passage, we see Paul addressing an issue. And we see that issue being resolved. And we see Paul taking a step back and rejoicing in what God has done. Today, I want to propose to you how our church and how every church should deal with conflict, difficulties, and how it is that God, by his grace and his mercy, brings about his glory even in the midst of it. Now, the church in Corinth was going through lots and lots of issues. There were lots of moral failures, people living lives not worthy of the calling they've received. Most of it had to do with their bodies and how they used their bodies, not keeping the sanctity of marriage, not waiting until marriage to, 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 to consummate what God has given as a gift. There are other people who are, who are questioning uh, the, the, the very nature of Paul and the gospel itself. There were leaders, and, and Paul jokingly calls them super apostles, these people who seem to have sort of extra knowledge of God. And they're trying to overthrow Paul, but more so than Paul, overthrow the gospel that Paul was teaching them. And Paul wrote at least one, maybe two letters to Corinth, warning them about the dangers of these people, warning them about the dangers of these immoral people, warning them about the dangers of how they have walked away or, or starting to walk away from the gospel. And you could hear in the letters, Paul's just indignation, sorrow, for the church was going astray. Now you may think that Paul himself, being an apostle, not an elder, not a pastor, but an apostle, that he had every right, because he was an apostle, to simply say to the people, listen, you will obey what I have taught you. No questions asked, no debate. I am an apostle of the Lord, called by God by himself. I am like one of the 12 with a special office, special authority. And you will listen to what I say, and you will... You will not question my teachings, but you will obey. Now, Paul had every right to do this as an apostle. He had every right to say, this is what you shall submit to, and there's no questions asked. But Paul did something different. And in many ways, you could see that, that Paul is sort of teaching the, the future church, teaching the, the future elders like, like Timothy and, and other people, 
teaching people who, who no longer have the apostle or the special dispensation and authority of the apostles. He, he's sort of transitioning them to understand how to shepherd his people. What does Paul do in the letters? Paul appeals to them, appeals to their heart, shares with them, how much have I loved you? How much have you brought sorrow unto me? How much do I want to see you return to the gospel that I taught you before? Think carefully, consider well the gospel that freed you from sin. Paul is not here to guilt trip people and to say, hey, don't you know how much time I spent with you? Don't you know how much I've poured my life into you? Don't you know how, how long I sacrificed for you? You need to do the same for me. But Paul's appeal is to the gospel, to the truth of the message. And he asks the people of the Corinth, consider the teachings of these so-called super apostles. They were not what I taught you. It is not what we agreed to, the other apostles, about what the gospel is, that all you need to do is repent and believe. The way that people are living the immoral life is not what we taught you. It's not what the gospel teaches. Consider and repent. And we see here in Paul what we need to do as the body of Christ. Yes, we've known each other a long time, many of us. Perhaps some of us, we've only known each other for just a short while. And there is grace and there's glory as we, as we grow together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Absolutely. The gospel plus time together. That's a brotherhood and sisterhood that not many people have. But our appeal to one another as we grow in the Lord is not simply our relationship, but it's the gospel and the truths of what Jesus teaches and our longing to see Jesus in the midst of our lives. This is what Paul does. Even though he had every right, every authority to simply say, you do what I tell you to do like a wise parent who knows that their children will grow up one day. I cannot just tell them what to do. This church needs to be the church. The members need to be the members. Those with positions of authority need to know and understand that they are under the authority of the gospel as well. You see, when conflict and when difficulties occur in the body of Christ, our relationships, hopefully, by God's grace, enables us to communicate well with one another and humbly to one another. But it is the gospel that is the measure of where we want people to go. And we, as God's people, at times, 
will go through times of sorrow. We will appeal with all of our hearts to one another, to, to people to turn and to repent. We will ask people and say, please go to the gospel. Please know that Jesus really is the one who can save. Please know that the way you're living, you're, it's, it's, it's not good for you. Please come back to Jesus. We are not here to appeal or guilt anyone into following the Lord. And this church in Corinth, no matter how messed up it looked, Paul himself was not tempted to simply say, I am going to just overpower everyone and we're going to get this church in the right road. But Paul trusted in the gospel. Lord, if this church in Corinth is your church, may your spirit bring about repentance and faith. And me as your servant, Paul was willing to suffer, willing to love, willing to pray, willing to write, willing to, to be in the midst of that suffering for the sake of the gospel. A wonderful appeal by the Lord himself by Paul himself. Second point. When we do so, we understand that this is the only way for a church to grow. Let me say that again. Our duty as God's people is not to be like the business world. We say here in, in our BCO that the powers of our church is only ministerial and declarative. And you'll hear that phrase over and over again. My power is only ministerial. In other words, I minister to you. I shepherd you. And I do that by showing love to you. And declarative. In other words, I just declare the truth of the gospel to you. That's all, that's all I can do. That's all that Paul was showing that he could do. Minister them, declare. But the second point is this, is that this is the only way, the only means by which the church grows. If we want to see true Christian fruit in our midst, we cannot use what the tools that the world uses. We can't put a carrot out there to make our numbers go up as a church. We can't use a whip to make our offering numbers go up as a church. I can't put a carrot out there to say, go do missions. I can't guilt you into saying, let's pray. For that's all going to be false fruit. 
the only fruit that bears good fruit is fruit that comes from your conscience through the Holy Spirit. And as that good fruit bears in you, that good conscience to follow Jesus, then this church grows. Then our fellowship grows. And Paul understood this. And we as God's people, each as individuals, need to take our responsibility to encourage, rebuke, admonish one another to grow. But be careful. Don't guilt anyone. Don't use too many carrots, although with little kids, you need carrots sometimes in the beginning. (laughs) Don't use the stick too harshly. But like Paul, long for, pine over, suffer for God's people to become more like God's people. Third point, that the fruit that you will see that will help you to identify whether this church is growing, whether you yourselves are growing, is right here. The, the, the fruit is simply repentance. It's repentance. If you're not seeing the fruit of repentance in our church, if you're not seeing the fruit of repentance in your godly relationships here at CCPC, then, there, then we have to take a step back. We just, we just have to take a step back and ask, God, help us. Because Paul here says that godly sorrow does not lead to repentance, but godly sorrow leads to death. Because what does godly sorrow do? It does not bring you closer to the Lord. But godly sorrow leads to, well, at the very least, depression. Godly sorrow leads to what? But regret. Godly sorrow leads to what? What? Anger, spitefulness. We we see this in in, in, in Judas, who who realized that he had he had um, he had betrayed Jesus. And when he betrayed Jesus, he, he, he took the coins, he, he, he took them back and he said, I did wrong against Jesus. But we know that Judas at the end killed himself. Literally, a worldly sorrow. We don't know exactly what's going on in his heart or his head. I'm not going to psychoanalyze someone that I don't, you know, we don't, we don't know. But we know that the outcome was he, what was death. Narratively speaking, could Judas have repented and returned to the Lord afterwards? You bet. You bet. But a worldly sorrow ultimately does not bring about faith and trust in the Lord. But godly sorrow does. 
when you realize that you've done something that is opposed to God's law, when you've sinned against someone, what happens is a change of heart when you go to the Lord in repentance. And you admit your, you confess your sins to the Lord and then the Lord forgives you and heals you. And then the Lord allows you to bring about Christ's love to all. It's a sorrow that allows us to rejoice in God. It is not a worldly sorrow which just says, I'm sorry, you're sorry, okay, we're all good, let's move on. But it's more of a sorrow that says, man, we messed up before God. But God can heal us and God can change us. Let's do it. Let's walk together. You'll mess up again, I'll mess up again, but let's, let's do it. Our God is that good. Our God is that gracious. So our goal here at this church, because we're going to have, there's going to be a complexity of relationships. There's going to be difficulties. Our job is not to manage it so that this structure flows well. Our duty is to bring each other to the cross. No matter how messy that may look, and no matter how much that may cost us as an individual for a while, in order to see Christ glorified. Fourth and last point is that when Paul goes through these steps and understands what's happening, he's able to say what he says in verse 16. I rejoice because I have perfect confidence in you. You see, Paul understands that, yes, I do everything for the joy of knowing my Savior. Everything that I do is the joy to know God. But in the framework of the church, in the framework of what's happening here, of, of, a, of a difficulty in the church being resolved, Paul is able to say something that I hope that you will all be able to say, because th- this is the heart that I try to have as, as, a, as a pastor. Paul rejoices when the people, when his, when his, when the people, when the, when the church at Corinth, the people he loved, repented and turned. That was his joy. Our joy comes in seeing other people. My joy as your pastor comes when, when I see you guys repenting to each other, growing in the Lord together. Suffering together, but rejoicing together at the same time. That when I'm able to, as a pastor, declare just the good news of Christ, when I, when I, when I labor to, to address issues of, of how we can grow in the Lord, and then I see God changing you, and I see the fruit of repentance and faith, my joy is in you. My confidence grows in you. You may know how much I boast about this church. So much, I think people think we're the perfect church, but I, I, we're not. But, but I boast about you guys all the time. Why? Because Christ is working in you. 
Be proud of being part of this church. Not because of the number of people, not because of how many ministries we have, not because of whatever, but because we love Christ and we love one another. May God grow this church in all the right ways. May you love CCPC and love one another in all the right ways. May we see the fruit of repentance and faith every day. And may we have confidence in the Lord, but confidence in one another that we belong to Jesus and Jesus is doing his work in us. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that this church belongs to you, belongs to no one else. This church, Lord, is sustained by you and your grace alone and by nobody else. We need to hear your word preached. We need to hear your word being spoken and encouraged by one another. We ourselves as individuals, we, we need to be in your word. We need to hear words of encouragement, but also re- words of, of admonition. And we need your spirit, Lord, to lead us to repentance and faith in you. Father, help this church to grow. Help us to love one another as you have taught us to love one another. Help us like Paul in this, in, in his letters to the church of Corinth to long suffer, to hold steadfast to the truth, but to love, to love well. Father, We need you in our midst. And we ask of you, Lord Jesus, help us that we may serve you and love you all the days of our lives. In Christ's name we pray, amen.